we pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Perhaps you've heard of social media superstar, Mr. Beast. Kids certainly have. He's number five on the most subscribed on YouTube. His face these days is all over billboards in some of the biggest cities. So even if you don't know him, you've probably seen him without realizing it. I saw him in Chicago last summer on a big billboard. And wow, he's famous. I mean, his videos get millions and millions of views. Which are a testament to the fact that he's worth millions of dollars. And his content, it's actually pretty good. It's kind. He has his viewers compete in these big competitions to win large sums of his money or an awesome prize like a new car. And in his early days of his YouTube career, his banners, they used to have things like John 3.16 on there. And I am not ashamed of the gospel just right out there for all those viewers to see. But as his fame and fortune increased, those references to God disappeared. As his wealth increased, his faith disappeared. In a recent interview, Mr. Beast was asked about Jesus, and he said he doesn't believe anymore. He said, quote, I'm agnostic. What happened? Well, it's as Jesus warned, as he gained the whole world, he forfeited his soul. And now what the world sees as riches and fame and fortune is really eternal poverty. It's backwards. And what about us as, as we go through this life and we look at what people have and don't have, what people are rewarded for and not rewarded for, it seems all backwards. There are people who flaunt their bodies online for money. People who cheat and lie their way to success and wealth. There are people who flat out reject God and it seems like they're rewarded. It's all backwards. What about the Christians who are working hard, quietly doing their duty, who seem to get less in life? Where's God? Is, is he with them? It's, it's, it's all backwards. And what about Jesus' parable this morning? We see a rich man who's clothed in fine linen and purple. And Lazarus, he's clothed in sores and rags. A rich man who's surrounded by luxury. Lazarus, he's surrounded by dogs. Mangy street dogs that were considered vermin at the time and utterly unclean. A rich man who has everything he could desire to eat, to drink, to enjoy. Lazarus, who longs to fill his stomach with the dusty scraps that may just happen to fall from the rich man's table. But who is rich? If we told anyone this story up to this point, out on the street or wherever, they'd say, well... The guy who's called the rich man? I mean, look at him. He's got everything he could possibly want. Everything. The clothes, the mansion, the food, the glory, the splendor. Not Lazarus. No, no. He's thrown down in the dirt for a life of perpetual begging as he watches through barred gates the life of luxury that could never be his own. 
or could it? Because then all of a sudden, verse 22 hits us. The time came when the beggar died. And the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. It's all backwards. The beggar, or more literally, the poor one, was carried by angels to Abraham's side. And that that rich man died and was buried. Period. That's it. It's backwards. What did that life of luxury and riches get that rich man? Well, now he has literal, a literal life of perpetual begging as he looks through an uncrossable chasm at the life of comfort that could never be his own. Now, like Lazarus begged for the fallen things from his table, now he begs for the smallest and tiniest drop of water to fall upon his tongue to give him comfort in his agony. It's all backwards. The rich man was not really rich. But the poor man, the beggar, was eternally rich. Might your riches be hidden too then? As you possess true riches? Maybe it's in a Sunday morning worship. Maybe it's found in a quiet devotional study. Maybe it's in an unseen prayer behind a closed door. Abraham goes on to tell the rich man what his riches got him. Or he reminds him of the good riches he had. He says, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. But what did that help now? No, that just made it even worse. The memory of what he lost. And then salt in the wound. Now he gets to watch forever what else he lost. The eternal comfort and glory of heaven. And then Abraham hits him with the nail in the coffin. After he tells him that Lazarus is receiving the comfort while he's in agony, Abraham tells him, and besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. It's all over. It's done. Realizing it's all over and there's nothing we can do about a mistake or mess up we've had is one of the worst feelings in this world. At a small level, it's that text message or that email that you desperately wish you could un unsend. It's the losing team in the championship game after that final buzzer sounds and all they can do is watch in agony the glory. Death is the end final buzzer and hell is a place where that awful feeling lives on in eternity and so Jesus gives us this sobering warning today to show us this because where are we in this parable well we're still here where it's difficult where it seems all backwards we're with the five brothers in this parable and the rich man, he, he begs for his brothers. He says, let Lazarus warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. If his five brothers are anything like him, 
the rich man, then they've surrounded themselves with the splendid things of life. They've lived in freedom. They've lived in sexual freedom. They've done whatever they wanted. They had everything they could want. And all the splendor that the world could give. So the rich man recognizes, uh-oh, there's a, tr- there's a problem here. They need something to shine through all that. They need something amazing. They need Lazarus to come back from the dead and show himself. That, that'll work. But Abraham tells them they already had true riches. They already have it. They're missing it. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Lazarus didn't miss it. His physical poverty came with an awareness of his spiritual poverty. His utter need and reliance for God. He didn't have all those other things in life to distract him from what really mattered. To make him, to have his ego puffed up and think he doesn't need God. No, he was aware that he needed God. And so it's Lazarus who knew the true riches. It's Lazarus who God was proved that blessed, when Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's Lazarus who proved that to be true. And it's Lazarus' name that gives us a hint of what he possessed. Did you catch that? Lazarus' name is mentioned. The rich man's is not. In fact, Lazarus is the only one ever mentioned by name in a parable like this. It's Lazarus' name that's going to live on in eternity. It's Lazarus' name that's in the book of life. And Lazarus' name that hides what he possessed. Lazarus is from a Hebrew name, Eliezer. And it means God is help. Lazarus had that secret to contentment like the writer of the Hebrews talked about. That the Lord is our helper. He recognized that in the midst of his physical poverty. That poor facade hid a man who actually possessed eternal and true riches. A need and utter reliance on God and a recognition of that. There, was no rich, there were no riches to blind him from that. No, Lazarus could see. See true riches. It's easy to miss those true riches, isn't it? Because we too are surrounded by the splendor and wealth and wonders of the world. And the world eggs us on. I mean, they, they want us to go after all these things. The world says, you can do whatever you want. You can sleep with whomever you want. You can go and get what's yours. Get the fame, the fortune. And it has its cheers to cheer us on, right? You only live once. Eat, drink, and be merry. Get what's yours, buddy. Come on. And suddenly, we miss the true riches in God's word. Suddenly, worship of God becomes boring, unexciting, painfully repetitive. And suddenly, we become like the rich man who desperately thought he needed something bigger and better to shine through all those shiny things of life, the wealth, the luxury. And so that's why he asked for the dead man to come back, right? That's what he thought he needed. And how about us? Don't we think, no, God, you haven't given us enough. We need you to come. We need you to say, hey, I'm here. I'm real. You're right. Now that would be nice, wouldn't it? But Abraham 
gives us the hard truth. He tells them that if they're not convinced by the word of God, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. No, Abraham, that, that can't be right. Come on. If people saw someone rise from the dead, they, they would surely believe, right? Well, there was another Lazarus that proves this, and I think it, it's easy to underestimate our natural rejection of God and how stone-hearted we can be. Because in John 11, there's a real Lazarus, not a parable, but a real Lazarus who was raised by Jesus after being in the tomb for four days. Jesus, well, he did it, proved that he was from God the Father. And he spoke, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man obeyed the Lord of life's commands and came out in front of everyone. They believed, right? Well, many did. But Jesus actually had to leave that region quickly because they wanted to kill him even more after that miracle. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they got together and they said, quote, people might start to believe in him. They had to do something about it. They would lose their way of life. They'd lose their rank, their wealth, their fake riches. And those fake riches blinded them from the true riches that were right in front of them. And they did eventually kill Jesus. The Almighty God, Savior of the world, was nailed to a cross. Perfect, but yet he was the one dying. That's backwards. Where's the glory in that? Where are the riches? Yet Jesus called that his glory. Those were Jesus' riches. And there is true glory hidden in that scene. Glory won for sinners who could never earn it for themselves. True riches won in that scene. Forgiveness of sins and eternal life and peace with God. Jesus said no to the worldly riches and the power and the worldly rulership and victory. And Jesus said yes to where his riches were found. A cross. That's backwards. But thank God that it is. And he did that because he loves you. That same God then, revealed in the hidden glory of the cross, continues to reveal himself in ways that seem so backwards to our sinful nature. Especially as we're surrounded in this world by the movies and TV shows with their deus ex machinas, the save the day moments, the heroes, the exciting scenes, the powers. Do we then miss the true power and riches in God's word shared? Is it hard to see it in the human hand that, of that puts on the sprinkling of water in baptism? Is it hard to see it in the little wafer and little sip of wine in the Lord's Supper? Our sinful nature desperately wants us to want more than that than the true riches God has already given us in his simple means of grace. But let's not miss how the God of the cross, the God of the gentle whisper, reveals his true riches to us. 
And God does let us see those riches. Because that word, spoken and read, it works in you a faith, the eyes of faith, to see the true riches in his word, to see the riches of forgiveness and faith given in baptism, even to a little child. The true forgiveness of sins given in the Lord's Supper with Christ's true body and blood, even in, with, and under the bread and the wine. And it's those eyes of faith that recognize our utter need for God. And in that spiritual poverty is found true riches. And so, knowing all this, as we walk through life and we look around and everything just doesn't quite seem right, we can say, it's all right. Because God has shown me that it's all backwards. For now. Because one day, the riches we see with our eyes of faith now, we will see with these two eyes in glory. For all the burdens we carry now, angels will carry you to heaven. For all the fears now, we can die unfearing. And for all the pain and sickness and poverty here, we will see eternal riches and glory and be eternally comforted there. And so with that knowledge and God-given knowledge and then the God keeping us in that faith and knowing that it's all backwards, we can move forward knowing what is forward eternal life and comfort with God. Hidden riches now, but true and eternal riches always that we possess always. In Christ, amen. And now we